Now, the Bible's got a lot of verses that I love. But there's some that are just mean a lot more than anything else to me. Sometimes people call them life verses. Uh, a verse that just kind of stands out, that you hold on to, and that this is something that, you know what, um, I'm going to grasp and, and I'm going to make this a part of my life and, uh, and it's something that I can and hold refuge to when times come that I need this verse. And uh, my other life verse is Jude one twenty two, and if some have compassion, making a difference. Uh, that was pretty much how Lord spoke to my heart and and um, used people to make a difference. Um, and I realized that I needed Christ, and and I got saved because of compassion of others. And uh, but this is another verse that really, along with that, uh, with Jude one twenty two, have been the biggest things with my life and you know it's amazing to think that next month I'll have been a born again Christian for 20 years it's hard to believe it's been 20 years and um, I was just a 17 year old young person so you can do the math I'm not getting much younger um, you know and throughout my entire life these this verse particularly I have seen over and over and over again and um, it has helped me both with ministry, with my personal life, and uh, it has given me much encouragement, and it's been a, a verse that I have taken a refuge in. And so, uh, if you look here, let's go ahead and stand together, and we'll read this, this verse together twice. Psalm 27, verse number 14. All right, let's go ahead and read this together. Wait on the Lord... Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Say it one more time. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's go ahead and bow a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and dive into this evening's message. Father, I just ask tonight that you would just speak to the hearts tonight of those who are listening. God, you have used this verse in my life over and over and over and over. And God, you've taught me so many things through this. And I just ask tonight, Lord, as we, as we dissect this verse, God, just to teach something to, to someone else. But there might be someone here that, that are at that time, they're just waiting on you, waiting on you to do something, to show them something, and wanting to know what to do next. And I just ask, God, that you would just use me and allow, uh, Lord, just my heart to, to be shared and God, that we just see some great things through this evening's service. We do love you, and we do thank you. Just ask that you bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so kind of as an introduction, um, I know it's kind of a simple thought, but our lives are governed by time. Uh, time rules every part and every day of our life. Uh, I mean, you can't get away, you can't get away from time. Uh, because no matter what, it has a part of us. You can go to the most barren island, and you're still going to be governed by time. Crops are going to grow, things of that nature. And so time rules everything. Our schedules are based on time. When we wake up, when we go to work, when we go to school, etc., etc. And uh, everything is impacted by this thing called time. But time 
was created by God, not for God, but was actually created by God for man. Uh, turn with me, would, to Genesis chapter 1. Hold your place in Psalm 27. We'll be back to it a few times. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. Now, has God already created night and day? Yes, he has. He's already created day and night. But now he's going to go beyond that. He's going to create specific things to help man determine time. Verse number 14 says, And God said, uh, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God gave them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So if you look back in verse number 14, God created all these things for them to be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So the reason why we have the sun, the reason why we have the moon, the reason why we have the stars, the planets, everything, is so that we can use them to gauge time. And uh, so it's, it's amazing when you think about that, that God created that for man and for his creation. Now, though God uh, created time, he is outside of time, and he does not work on the same timetable as we do. And that's a very important thing to learn. Because oftentimes we try to, to fit God into our time schedule, into our time frame, or our, our idea of when God should work and when he should move and, and, and do things. And yet God is outside of time and he does things when he, plan, when he knows and when it's his timing to do that. He already has a plan. He knows exactly when he's going to act and when he won't act. For example, creation in just six days. I mean, a lot of amazing things happen in just six 24-hour periods. I mean, look at that and you think, it should take thousands and millions of years. But it didn't. It took 24 hours. And so, uh, and also in 2 Peter 3.8, Peter says that to God, a thousand years paraphrasing, or as a day. And so uh, God is outside of time. And that's important for us to understand as we get into this, these verses here, because oftentimes we like to rush ahead of God's timing. And that's what the whole point of is waiting upon the Lord. So um, God knows everything about you. He knows your dreams. He knows your hopes your heartache, your sorrow, your joy, and your desire. See, before you were ever born, God knew you while you were in your mother's womb. And here's the thing. Before you were ever born, He actually already had a plan for your life. Now, Jeremiah 1.5, we're, kind of, we're familiar with it. Uh, it says here, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. 
And so we're using, you know, he's speaking to Jeremiah here, and he's telling Jeremiah, look, before you were ever born, I already had a plan for you. I already had a plan for your life. And Jeremiah is not someone who's, who's more special, so to speak, than you or I. He has a plan for each one of us. And so um, that is, I'm just glad that, that God wants to be such a part of our life that he has something specifically for us to do. He's not just saying, okay, you can do something for me, but you, and I don't really like you, so you can just wander around and have no goal for the rest of your life. But no, he actually wants to be intimately involved with every person's life. See, he's got a specific will and plan for your life, and he wants you to know what it is. But here's the thing. He's not going to just magically, in the cloud, say, okay, uh, Barry, this is, this is the will for your life. He's not going to do that. But he will show you where to go. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. Now, does God reveal all of his will for your life in one time? No, he does not. Here's the reason why. Because if he did, we would be so overwhelmed and terrified of what our future would hold, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. See, when God first was dealing with my heart and knocked on the door of my heart for salvation, and he already knew that I was an introvert, didn't want anything to do with, with talking to people, and when I got saved, if he would have instantly told me the day that I got saved that I was going to be a missionary over here in Ireland, preaching to a bunch of people and teaching the Bible, I would have said, Sorry, not, not for me. That's not what I want. And I would not have come. I know myself because I was not ready yet. I, God had to work on me, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But here's the thing. God, slowly, and as your life goes on, as you yield to him, he reveals the next step and the next step and the next step, and we're going to learn more about that here in a little while. But he has a will for you, and he shows you through his word what he wants you to do. And he will also show you through prayer and through preaching and through godly counsel. That's why you have a pastor. You know, when God's dealing with your heart about something or you're just not sure, you can go to him and you can talk to him and you can search the scriptures together, you can pray about it and ask God to reveal exactly, is this where you want him to go or where you, what he wants you to do? And, that, and it's not just for serving God. This is about every aspect of life, from who your spouse is supposed to be, uh, maybe a job opportunity, uh, lots of different things that a lot of times we, we really don't look for God's leading. We just say, well, I'm going to do this anyway. There are specific wills, though, that God does have. The first one, though, is that God does want every person to be saved. He wants every person to become born again because he does not want a single person to perish in the lake of fire. That's God's desire. He wants no one to perish. But the fact is, is that some people say, I don't want God. And that's the reason why they're there. It's not because he hates people. It's because they do not want salvation. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, 
but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire, that every person would turn away from their sin and come to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't just love a certain portion of people. It's open to everyone. John 10.28 says, And I uh, give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, God wants you to serve him. Um, he wants you to serve him with, with your life. And the manner of how you serve him changes throughout your life. What you're doing now to serve the Lord may change in some degree, but we ought to serve God regardless. I mean, when I first got saved, you know, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing about anything. Uh, but I, there were some uh, people in, in church that said, hey, why don't you come join the bus ministry? You know, uh, we go and pick up kids, and we bring them to church, and we could, we could really use someone just to go up to the doors and, you know, and see if the kids are up and to bring them to the bus. You know, they were called a runner is basically what we were called. <laughs> you know, you run up to the door, see, make sure the kids are ready to go, and then you bring, you know, bring them to the bus. And so that was, that was my first ministry, was being part of this bus ministry. And as I grew and as I, and as I learned and, and uh, uh, became more faithful in church and, and uh, my relationship with the Lord deepened, God opened up other ministries. I work with the PA system. I work with the RU ministry. Uh, back in, in Michigan. And, uh, you know, I, I could just list name after name of different ministries that I, that I help serve in. But those I'm not doing now. I'm doing something else. God has, those were, those were in a sense, ways of helping me grow and develop to prepare me for the ministry here. For example, uh, working with the addicts in RU back in, in Michigan, I didn't know God was going to use that to, to be a help to Brother Tony. I didn't know that. We had never met, <laughs> you know, when I was working at, in the RU ministry. And yet God used that and brought me over, and, you know, Tony and I became friends, and we've been serving the Lord together in, in RU in the 12 Weeks to, to Freedom ministry. And God used those experiences here in Ireland to, to be a help to the ministry here. I never would have knew. I didn't plan that. I didn't know that. But God knew what he was doing. And he was using that to strengthen me and to guide and to help me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's the biggest part with learning how the will of God is learning to trust God with your heart, all of your heart, not learning, leaning upon your own understanding about how things work, living by sight, walking by sight, but learning how to walk by faith. And that's what acknowledging him means. You know, maybe he doesn't sometimes always reveal it completely at a time, but you're saying, you know what, God, I'm going to start walking this path. And I'm going to let you reveal each step of the way, but I'm going to keep on trusting you. And that's what it means. And he's going to be the one that's going to direct your path. And that's what he does. You know, oftentimes, uh, to begin a journey, you have to take the first step. Otherwise, you never get anywhere. 
And that's what walking in faith is, is you just take that first step and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to let you fill the rest of, the, of my path. And the cool thing is, is that God will give you many of the desires of your heart if you put him first in your life. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This is another one of those verses that I, that I prayed and I asked God to do, and he has given it. It took a while, but it was all in his timing. Matthew 6, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He's talking about you know, taking care of your, your food and your, and, um, your, your apparel, and um, but the the matter is, you you put him first. God's going to take care of you. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought I would be over here in Ireland. Never thought. I've always wanted to come and and be and view overseas. But God's allowed me to to see several different countries and and travel a lot in the United States. Those were all desires of my heart, even as a young man, a teenager. Man, as a teenager, I said, man, I'd I'd love to visit you know, all the states of America. Every teenager thinks about that, you know, honestly. And, uh, and so I didn't know that God was going to call me to be a missionary. And through our deputation process, we probably visited about 30 of those 50 states so far. God answered that desire. Um, you know, it's just really cool. It really is. When you put God first and you serve him first, he lets you do some amazing things. He really does. But here's the thing, and this is the hardest part. You have to learn how to wait. See, we as individuals, as mankind, sometimes one thing we have the most problem with is patience. And oftentimes we like to jump the gun, so to speak. Or we like to get ahead of ourselves, ahead of God. But that's not the kind of weight that I want to talk about tonight. Let's go back to Psalm 27. Go back to Psalm 27, verse number 24. See, the weight that is talking about here isn't just sitting around, twiddling your thumb, saying, Okay, God, I'm just going to wait until you show me what to do. That's not the weight that he's talking about. It's a different kind of weight. You see, the weight that he's talking about is actually an action. It's a verb. What it means is to serve and to be diligent about your business until you receive new orders. That's why, oftentimes, I don't know if they've changed the terminology now, I don't know, but you go to a restaurant, and the person who comes to your table is called a what? A waiter or a waitress. And so, because their job is to serve. And their job is to make sure that your, your cup of water is filled, that if you need to order anything, if you need serviettes, if you, you, know, uh, if you want coffee, they give you free refills in America. Uh, you know, things like that. But a good, you want to know what a good waiter does? A good waiter, if you're, if you're sitting in a restaurant, 
A good waiter never makes you wait, in a sense. They are ready and at attention to take care of any need that you have. Because that's their job, is to serve you. Is to be busy doing what they are employed to do. You know, they're not supposed to be back in the kitchen talking to the chef, you know, about whatever game was on, the, you know, the, the night before. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. Their employment is, is they're supposed to be keeping an eye on their tables and making sure that their customers are taken care of whatever they need. I mean, we've, we probably all have all had bad experiences in restaurants. Bad, bad customer service, the wait staff just, it's like, okay, Hello, is anybody here? You know, I'm, I'm over here. I'm ready to order, you know, and they're not anywhere to be found. But I've been in some places where it's like, you know, your cup gets half empty and they're already over there pouring it in to refill your, your glass of water. You know, I mean, they're, they're diligent about their business. They're waiting. They're, they're, they're serving you. And that's what this verse means. It's not about twiddling your thumbs and saying, God, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until you tell me what to do. That's not what God is saying here. God is saying you need to be busy and serving until I give you new orders. And that's the, that's the big difference here. David knew and he understood uh, this verse personally. You see, David had to wait many years to become the king of Israel. Even after he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. You know, Samuel didn't give David orders saying, okay, David, I've now anointed you as king. Go up and take the throne. Did he do that? No. He anointed David, and then Samuel moved on. Because Samuel knew that even though he anointed David as the next king of Israel, it wasn't David's time yet. And David knew that. What did David do after he got anointed back, or anointed the next king of Israel? He went back to the sheep. He kept busy doing what God had him doing before until he got new orders. And part of that was Saul began to have nightmares, and, and he, or not nightmares, but he began to be having an affliction by an evil spirit and. And uh, so, you know, I heard someone say that, you know, there's this, this uh, young man by the name of David who's really good on the harp. And, uh, and so Saul said, yeah, bring him, bring him. And as he played, the, you know, the, the, spirit would leave, the evil spirit would leave him. And then one day, you know, David, again, uh, would go back to the sheep. And then one day, his father said, okay, David, I want you to go to the, there's a big battle going on, and I want you to bring some, some food to your brothers. See how they're doing. Just check up on them. And of course, we know the story. God or, you know, directs David there. He sees his brothers. And as David is there, all of a sudden, the big old Philistine comes out. And he mocks the children of Israel. And he challenges them to a duel. And nobody stands and does anything. We know the story. It's Goliath. And so David looks around. All the men of Israel are, are trembling and hiding behind the rocks. He's looking at this big old Philistine and as a, you know, as this heathen, this guy, this ungodly man. He looks around and says, is there not a cause? And so he says, look, I'll fight him. 
you know, and then he was told the reward, and he, he, could, he couldn't care about anything about the reward. So they brought him before Saul, and, and, you know, Saul let him fight Goliath. See, that was God now opening up a new door for David to get closer to his ultimate will of serving him as king. It, but it took different steps. Now, David ran into some problems. He ran into some delays. See, David still was not ready to be king yet. Even though uh, Saul gave him his daughter as, as a wife, David became a mighty man. He, he was a, a good general. Um, but he wasn't ready to be king yet. God had to develop and grow him into a man that would rule his people the right way. And I believe that the years that David was on the run, hiding from Saul in the wilderness, I believe it taught David how to trust God, how to depend upon God, how to, to lean upon God. I mean, you know, and, and as, as God began to bring these soldiers and these men to David and, you know, and having to feed them all and take care of them and, and to lead them, because these guys not, weren't exactly your most, uh, uh, they weren't the Boy Scouts, so to speak, type of people. These were some rough characters. These were guys who, they were really rough around the edges. They were, they were soldiers. And, uh, God, and David had to learn how to lead men. He had to learn how to lead a kingdom. Had to, how to, to, um, to be a, a leader. See, many of our psalms that we have in the book of Psalms were written during the time that he was on the run. And we have an opportunity, as, as, and we gather, and we can read these, and we can get encouragement. We can see, you know, even though David, there's times where he just despaired and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. It just seems like I'm alone. And yet by the end of the psalm, he's then praising God and saying, God, no matter what, I'm still going to trust you. No matter what, I'm going to keep on doing what you call me to do. Had David not gone through that wilderness experience, we wouldn't have the psalm, most of the psalms that we have today. God was using that to prepare David. Now David eventually did become king, but it was all in God's timing. It wasn't in David's timing. You see, in our fast-paced world, for most Christians, waiting is something that they have a hard time doing. And sometimes we can get ahead of God and His will for us before His timing. Sometimes we say, well, this is what I want to do with my life. And, and so sometimes we kind of get ahead of that. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I know some people who, who have gotten in some, some, some wrong relationships. And they thought, well, you know what? No one else is interested, so I might as well just marry this person. It was the worst decision they ever made because it destroyed their life. It took them away from serving God. And then, you know, and, and uh, yeah, one person who might be saved, and, or maybe not, the other person who's a believer, and then you try to, to bring them into a home and then have children, and one person's going one way and one person's going the other way, and there's division in the home. It's difficult. It's very difficult. But they got ahead of God thinking, you know what? No one, God's not going to bring anyone along, and so I'm just going to do things my own way. It's dangerous when we get ahead of God. 
We need to continue to serve God until he opens the door for the next step. Have courage because God's timing is perfect. When God opens those doors, he will often bring you out of your comfort zone. Um, when it comes time for God to bring you to the next step, so to speak, to do what God asks you to do, it's going to bring you out of your comfort zone. Was David in his comfort zone when uh, Saul tried to kill him? No. God had to bring David out of that situation. And David was, obviously, he was scared. I mean, he was now alone, um, running for his life. Brought him out of his comfort zone. And it taught him that, you know what? I have to be of good courage. You see, stepping out of your comfort zone is always difficult and it requires courage. You see, it's always easier to stay where it is comfortable, and this is why I believe most people never surrender their will to God and let God use them. I believe that God has called multitudes of missionaries all across this world, here to Ireland, and all the different places across this world. But when they looked at the calling of God, and what they feared, and it was going to be out of their comfort zone, they said, not interested. It's easier for me to stay here, and I'll just serve God here. And God may use them there, but it wasn't his first calling for them. It wasn't what he wanted in their life, and they won't receive the full blessing that he had for them. I believe this world would be a lot more different if, people had actually surrendered to the call. That Christianity would be a little bit more stronger than it is today. That we'd actually see more people getting saved. And, um, but I believe a lot of people don't go because they're afraid. Sometimes it's not just the man, it's sometimes the, the wife. Because she has to step and leave all of her family behind. And for a woman, that's very hard to do. Uh, that was very hard for Jennifer to do, and it still is. But that was something that God had to bring Jennifer to a place to where she could come. And that was what deputation was all about for us. It helped Jennifer to kind of step away from that closeness with her family and to be able to come over here and to be a minister, to help the ladies here, to help the, the young people here. And God has blessed it. But it, was always, but it wasn't easy. Serving God will never be easy because God's always going to put you in situations that are going to be out of your comfort zone. You're going to meet people that might look a little rough around the edges. You know, if, you, if you're knocking on doors, and they can look pretty intimidating. But you know what? God said, I want you to give the gospel to them. And we can say, well, I, I'm just not comfortable doing it. I'm, just, I'm going to just not say anything. And then we don't do the will of God. You see, stepping out in faith and trusting God is the beginning of courage. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Having courage doesn't mean that, you're no, that you no longer have fear. 
But what courage is, is continuing to do God's will, even when you're afraid. That's what real courage is. Is when you know, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to say. This guy looks like a huge biker. He's got tattoos all over the place. But you know what? I'm going to give him a gospel track anyway. And who knows? He might get saved and, you know, and, and uh, there's some amazing testimonies of some pastors today who people went out of their comfort zone to give them a leaflet, give them a track, and they got saved, and they're now in the ministry because they went out of their comfort zone and just said, you know what, we're just going to trust you. See, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14 about Jesus being born of a virgin 700 years before he was actually born. Why wasn't Jesus just born then? You know, when, when Isaiah was writing and you know, and God was giving Isaiah the prophecies, why, didn't, why wasn't Jesus born 200 years afterwards? Why did it have to wait 700 years? Because God had to put all the pieces together. See, at that time, 700 years ago, there was no such thing as the Roman Empire. There was no such thing as crucifixion. It was not a matter of it was not a, a manner of execution in the known world at that time. It was developed by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. Things had to be put into place for Jesus to be crucified on a cross. He had to work things in the world, in the world events, and in the perfect perfection of time. Jesus was born and he was crucified exactly when God wanted. He had to put all the pieces in order. See, God's timing is always perfect, and that includes in each one of our lives as we serve him and he directs our path. Um, we look throughout several times throughout the Gospels where Jesus happens to be at a particular spot at a particular time for a particular person because he knows that he needed to be there at that exact time. Perfect example. The woman at the well. Jesus said, you know what, we need to go through Samaria. And this is all in John chapter 4. Just for sake of time, we don't have time to, to jump there right now. John chapter 4 all talks about this encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus tells the disciples, look, we need, we need to go through Samaria. The disciples say, why in the world are we going through Samaria? No Jew goes through Samaria. You know, they considered them heathens, infidels. And so they would have no association with them. But, said, but, but Jesus said, you know what? No, I need to go. And so uh, they, went, they went to Samaria, and he, have to be, uh, he, have to, he happened to sit at a well. And up comes a woman. And he begins to have a conversation with her. And uh, he already knows all about her. You know, that she's been married and divorced, and married and divorced, and married and divorced, and, and she's actually living with a guy. And um, that she's not supposed to be. And so this woman is absolutely stunned that he knows all these details about her. And he begins to talk to her, and kind of, in a sense, just kind of to get a hold of her heart. And that woman, I believe, turns to Christ, trusts Him for salvation. And then, it just doesn't end there. 
She then goes back to the rest of the villagers and she brings them out to hear Christ preach and to teach about the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they come back and said, oh, you know, uh, you know, they saw him talking to the woman and, and, and Jesus said, um, actually go there to John chapter 4 because it's really actually important. See, there was a purpose that God actually went there. Look at John chapter 4, verse number 31. Verse 31 says, In the mean, while his disciples prayed him, so that the woman had left, saying, Master, eat. So they brought back food. And, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know, that ye know not of. Therefore said so the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him meat or ought to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat to, is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, I lift up, or lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages, gather fruit unto the life eternal. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And so here, in verse number, look at verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever that I did. So multiple people trusted Christ because he met one divine appointment at the well. And the, and the New Testament, the Gospels are filled with event after event after event where Jesus was at the exact time that he was supposed to be. There was one time uh, he was uh, going into a, a town there and there was a funeral procession coming out and they met him right at the gate there and uh, Jesus just kind of happens to just kind of reach in and touch the, the casket, basically, what this, this young lad was, was being carried away in. And the lad came up to life. Had he been there 10 minutes late or 10 minutes too early, he would not have been there for that funeral possession. But he came at the exact same time that it was there because he was going to raise this young man back to life because he was the son of a widow and that widow had no other hope for any kind of financial help besides her son. And uh, so he was taking care of her. And again, the New Testament is full of situations where God's timing is absolutely perfect. And when God shows you the path you should take, you need to follow it until he changes your course. See, when God called me to, to Ireland, he called me back in 2005. This was, I was a senior in Bible college, and when the Lord first put Ireland on my heart, I knew absolutely nothing about Ireland at all. I knew that it was some country across the Atlantic Ocean, that they had rainbows and leprechauns, and, you know, and, and they drank beer. That's all I knew. <laughs> That's what, that's what the world thinks of Ireland. And, and so I didn't know anything about the Irish. I didn't know if there's even missionaries here. 
And, uh, but when the Lord spoke to my heart, I said, okay, Lord, if, if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. I mean, I was studying to be a pastor uh, in the States. I, was, I never had thought, never planned on being a missionary. Never, never even crossed my mind that I'd ever leave the United States. And so when the Lord touched my heart and said, okay, I want you to go to Ireland, I said, okay, you need to provide a way. And he did. He allowed me to go four months later. And so he actually, through that time, I met another missionary. And the other missionary already had a couple of college students coming in. And he already had itinerary all set up. And so he said, yeah, just come along with us. So I'm like, great, okay. And so I did. And um, it was during that time that uh, we were up in Northern Ireland for the first week that I was here. I was here for about two weeks. I was up in Northern Ireland for that first week, and I felt nothing. And I was like, Lord, what do you, why am I here? You know, why do you have me here? Um, what's the point of me being here? And I was praying every single day and night, just asking, Lord, show me why you're here, why you want me here. I mean, do you want me here just for this two weeks? Do you want me here for the rest of my life? I didn't know. And I was burdened with that. And so the next week, uh, the missionary was going to be bringing us down here to, uh, to Cork to meet Brother Ledbetter, and, and uh, we're going to go to church here as well for a Wednesday night, and then, you know, kind of do some more, kinda, we kind of did like a little ring. You know, we went down to the west and then came down here and then went up to, to Dublin. And... Um, and so we happened to, to uh, go to the Cliffs of Moher. And then on the way back from the Cliffs of Moher, they happened to stop in Ennis. And um, again, I was praying and just asking, Lord, show me where you want me to go. And it's, it's just a it's kind of a, it's not, it's a spooky feeling, but it's just something that just spoke to my heart and said, this is where I want you to go. I can't explain it. I really can't. And so I said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, then I guess I'll come. And so that next day we came down and we had lunch with uh, uh, Pastor Craig. And uh, you know, next day we went to Blarney, I think. And then that night we went to um, church in the evening. And so it was during that time where you know, I was talking with, with Pastor Craig. Pastor Craig said, if you, know, if you think that God is calling you to Ireland, why don't you come work with me for six months? said, you'll know whether or not this is where God wants you to be. Because by that time that six months ends, you'll either hate this place and never want to come back, or you'll never want to go back home. And so I said, okay. And so I said, well, okay, let me, I, was, I still had uh, one more year left in Bible college. And so I said, okay, I'll go ahead and, and I'll, start, I'll plan to do that. And so I graduated in 2006 and began making plans to come in 2007. And so I came in 2007 in February and met some of you then. Um, and as God was directing my steps, I came over single. And by the time I left, I only was here for four months because God brought Jennifer and I together. We had known each other for eight years previous to that. But we had, um, we had court before, but God broke that up. And before we left... God was bringing us back together because I finally surrendered my heart. See, I had put up some walls. And I said, God, I'm not going to serve you unless you do X, Y, and Z. And I had to come to a point finally. I said, you know what, God? I'm getting rid of that X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to serve you. And when I finally surrendered my will 
and my stubbornness, he began to, he brought Jennifer my way. And and God revealed it right straight away that he wanted us to be married. And so we got married later that year, and God, you know, st still had that desire, knew that Ennis was still in my heart, and um, we, you know, uh, start deputation, and then you guys know we arrived in 2012. When we first arrived, my original intention was only to be here for one year, because I thought, you know, you know, I was trying to, I, I, I was, um, you know, didn't know anything about Ireland really, didn't know really a lot about the culture, and and uh, didn't really know about the ministry here in Ireland, and and um, and so I um, uh, wanted to learn underneath a better missionary. And Pastor Craig has been here for nearly 26 years, and. Um, he had some great wisdom and, and great insight. And so I said, you know what, I, I want to learn from him. And because uh, where, I, where I came from, I came from a huge church. You know, I probably 900, 1,000 people on a Sunday morning. But I was never part of any kind of leadership of a church. Yeah, I served in ministries in the church. But how to run a church, no clue whatsoever. And so um, coming over here and helping Pastor Craig and being a part of this church has been so foundational for me in preparation and training for when the Lord was going to call me, open the door, up to Ennis. Now, we were originally thinking just a year, but God extended that year by year by year by year, and it's been seven years now. <laughs> but honestly, it is because um, and, and God gave me some great opportunities up in Limerick for four months, over in Bray for a couple of months, to teach me how to be a pastor, you know, of, of my own congregation, so to speak, of my own flock. And uh, honestly, Pastor Craig has taught me so much here about being a pastor, about being a part of a ministry, about learning how to care for people, how to, to be there for people, to, to minister to people. And, uh, you know, even on the, uh, the organizational side of things, you know, the things that go on in the office throughout the week, most people have no clue what goes on. <laughs> There's a lot of organization that goes on every single week. And being a part of that was such a blessing to me. It was a training ground for me. Just like David had to go through that wilderness to train and to learn and, and, and God to teach him, uh, I believe God for the last seven years was teaching me, training me, teaching Jennifer, training us, preparing us for what, so when we'd be ready to be able to go up to Ennis. Because I, I, I'll be honest with you, I think if, if I were to have went to Ennis as soon as we got here seven years ago, I probably would have been a failure because I didn't know nothing. I didn't know much about the ministry. You know, I didn't have experience. And so, um, I mean, my prayer is that something great will happen in Ennis, that a church will start, that people get saved, that you know, we'll see some souls get discipled and a, and a, a, a church started. That's my desire. I have no idea. I can't see past two seconds ago, <laughs> you know. And so that's where that courage takes place, because every person's afraid of failure. Everyone is, you know. And I'm afraid that it won't work. But you know what? I'm going to step out anyway and trust God and see what God does. But it's the last seven years have been so, so helpful. And uh, Pastor Craig has taught me so much.
I can never be appreciative enough of him. And so I'm just thankful that he's that he allowed uh, Jennifer and I to come in and, and to be a part of the church and to, to get a chance to meet everyone here. And um, it's been such a blessing to us. It really has been. And, um, you know, I could go on and on about just how God's timing is perfect. And now God has opened the door for us to go to Ennis. I believe it. I believe this is now the time. And, uh, and I feel like I'm as ready as I could be. <laughs> now there's, I'm not, there's going to be some things that are going to come my way that I'm not going to be prepared for. But that's where that trusting God comes in. And, you know, and, and allow him to work in the situations that are going to come. And, he, and he's going to guide. And so um, that's the reason why we're going. And just want to say thank you, really, to everyone here for just loving on my family and uh, just being there for us the last seven years because, honestly, this church has become our family. When we decided that it was time to step out, it was a hard decision for me to make. It would be way more easier and comfortable for me to stay here But here's the thing. I believe that I would be out of the will of God. Because God wanted somewhere else. <clears throat> and that's the dangerous place to be, is out of the will of God. Even though it is easier to stay here. And look, we have friends here. We have great neighbors. We have a great house. We love Balan Colleague. We've met acquaintances. It'd be so much easier just to stay. And that's when serving God, when God opens up that next door, that's when it takes the courage to take the next step. Because it's not easy sometimes. There are the fears, as I mentioned, but there are also the comforts that you have to sometimes leave behind. Now, I don't have time to go through the rest of my points, but... Um, God will strengthen your heart. I'm just going to go through all these really quickly. How does, he how does he strengthen your heart? As you trust God and yield to him, God gives you the strength to go on. This is where faith comes into the picture whenever you do the will of God. The more you learn to trust and depend upon the providence of God, the stronger your faith grows, and it in turn strengthens you for the task ahead. You see, God will give you the strength to do his will, even when we think that we're incapable. You look at the story of Esther. You know, when Esther has to go before her husband, she is absolutely terrified because to come before her husband unbidden was instant death. And yet, she knew that if she didn't, her people might die and that she may be, have become queen for, that, for such a time as this as her cousin Mordecai had told her. And it took great bravery to go before her husband. She didn't know that he was going to raise his scepter to her. But she trusted God, and she took that first step. When you do God's will, God helps you carry the load. See, God is in the yoke along with you, and he carries the brunt of it. He is there to continue moving ahead when your strength fades and you need to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all ye later, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Above all else, trust the Lord to get you through whatever situation that you're facing because he already knows how it's going to end anyway. Trust him. 
So just kind of conclusion tonight. I know it was a little bit longer, and I do apologize for that. Everything happens in God's timing. We need to be patient and let God be God. He knows what He's doing. Trust Him. God knows everything about you, including your dreams and desires. But He also wants to be a part of your life too and has a specific plan for your life. To wait upon the Lord means to serve and to be diligent about your service to God until you receive new orders from Him. Be of good courage because God is in control of all things. His timing is absolutely perfect and He is with you every step of the way. He will never forsake you. When we rely upon the Lord, He will give you the strength to go on and to do what needs to be done. And when we wait upon the Lord instead of jumping ahead with what we think is best, the results are usually far better and with a lot less complications. But can I ask you a question tonight? Are you even serving God this evening? Are you doing anything for Him? Or have you kind of put your hands up to God and say, you know what, uh, God, back off. I want to have my own life. I want to live life my own way. And you're not letting God have direction and reign. Be careful. Serving God is far more rewarding. And the rewards are not temporal. They're eternal. And, um, and that's just what I have this morning. These are things that God has taught me last 20 years of being a Christian. And this verse is one that I go to often. Because there's times where I don't know what to do. And that's where I have to learn to wait on God, to, to have the courage, keep on going, and, and ask and just to cling on Him for strength. And, um, and as you go throughout your Christian life, there's going to be times where it's going to be difficult. You're not going to know what to do. Claim this verse and just keep on serving God until He opens the next door and you'll know where to go. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. We'll be finished. Father, we thank you so much again for your love. Lord, I am so glad that you have a plan for each one of us. God, that you want to use us to make a difference in this world, um, to show people that you love them. Lord, to be the lighthouse in our communities. God, I thank you so much that um, you don't just cast us off and you know, say, eh, can't use you, but let you give us an opportunity to draw close to you to be able to be used of you. I just ask God tonight, Lord, I don't know where everyone's at. Lord, I don't know what people are struggling with. I just ask God that they would learn to serve you and to keep on serving until you show them, uh, to show them what the next step to do and that they would trust you and just take that next step to rely upon you Lord, I know sometimes it is scary. There have been times where I've looked at, at, at my life and I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to trust you. And Lord, I, you have taken care of me and my family. You have given me the desires of my heart, Lord. It's not because it's not some health, wealth, and prosperity thing. Lord, it's just because you're good to me and you're good to those who serve you. And I thank you for that, Lord, because I don't deserve it. And I just ask that you would just bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name we pray.